Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of Arc Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for tuning in today's episode of Arc's For Your Innovation podcast. Today, we have a bit of an unusual episode for you. This episode comes to you with a delay of a couple of months. We actually recorded this podcast in fall 2020 and decided not to release it. And the reason why is because in this podcast, we talk about mobile payments in China and kind of break down the dynamics and day-to-day habits that are behind that phenomenon. And we wanted to release the podcast before the end IPO just to basically educate folks out there what is the significance of mobile payments and digital wallets in China, how are they used on an everyday level, how do WeChat Pay and Alipay compare if there are other players in the market and so forth. Now, as you probably remember, the end IPO got pulled and we decided not to release the podcast right away. But we think now is actually a pretty interesting time to kind of go back to this recording because it's still very, very relevant. Looking back on the last few weeks and months in China, we had a bunch of developments around Alibaba, around Ant Financial, Ant Group rather, about generally fintech regulation, about central bank digital currencies. So there's a lot happening. But the guest on our podcast actually makes the case that these services, small payments, use of digital wallets in China, they're so deeply integrated into the Chinese society and economy that even though on the outside there's a lot of change and, like I said, regulatory movement and so forth, there might be a good chance that on a day-to-day kind of user level, these services have become so uh, deeply intertwined with people's daily lives and their usage is so ubiquitous that it's hard to to disrupt that, actually. So from that perspective, we think it's still a very relevant conversation, and, and it's a fascinating conversation. The conversation is with Hong Shen. She's a system scientist at Carnegie Mellon, and she put out a paper last year called I Can't Even Buy Apples If I Don't Use Mobile Pay When Mobile Payments Become Infrastructural in China. And the key word really here is infrastructural. She makes the case that these services have become part of the infrastructure of Chinese society and economy. And like I said, it's unlikely that that's going to change in kind of the essence as it has developed over the last few years. And we talk about why that developed. And that kind of leads me to the second reason why I think it's still a great idea to, to release it. And that's because we think that this phenomenon of digital wallets that was pioneered in China is really playing out all across the world. And there are certain reasons why it played out the way it played out in China. And like I said, we're going to talk about that. 
So that means we don't expect that it's going to look exactly the same in every country and, and market around the world. But in essence, it's going to be digital wallets, mobile apps on your phone that consolidate and let you access different financial and commercial services. And that phenomenon, we think, is especially after the or kind of pushed by the initial outbreak of the of COVID-19 and kind of what followed and the shift to digitization, that is become an even stronger phenomenon around the world. And we see that if we look at you know large public companies such as PayPal. We're actually recording this podcast as of February 15th. So like I said, there's a lot of regulatory developments around Ant and, and Alibaba and generally fintech in China. So keep that in mind relative to the point in time where you're going to listen to this. But we're recording this as of February 15th. And just last week, we had the PayPal Investor Day. And the company really now puts a lot, a lot of emphasis on digital wallets. You know, that really seems to be their core focus right now. And obviously, we also see that in the US with Square's Cash App, which kind of has pioneered here. We see that also with challenger banks or other consumer fintechs, more from the lending space, also moving into digital wallets and putting a lot of services together. And like I said, we see this phenomenon really playing out across the whole world, uh, in each market. So from that perspective, I think it's a really great conversation that can give you an insight into what the future might look like in consumer financial services. So we hope you enjoy the conversation with Hong Sheng. Without further ado, let's jump into it. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into ARC's podcast for your innovation. Today, we have a very fascinating discussion for you with uh, Hong Sheng. She's one of the authors of a paper called I Can't Even Buy Apples If I Don't Use Mobile Pay. It's an interesting title. And the second part of the title of the paper is When Mobile Payments Become Infrastructure in China. Infrastructural in China, in fact. So as this title suggests, we're going to talk about mobile payments in China. That means talking a lot about WeChat Pay and Alipay. In the introduction that you just heard, you, you might have already learned a few things about those applications. So in this conversation, we're going to take a deep dive behind the headlines that you've maybe seen around the upcoming Ant IPO and really dive into how these applications are being used in daily life in China. Before going to the paper, though, Hong, if you could maybe tell us a little bit about your background what you do at, at Carnegie Mellon University, where this paper uh, came from, kind of what got you interested in this particular research topic. Thanks for having me here, Max. As Max said, I'm a system scientist in the Human Computer Interaction Institute at Carnegie Mellon. So I was interested in this topic actually uh, starting from my PhD dissertation. So during that time, I studied actually the global expansion of Chinese internet giants. So at Human Computer Interaction Institute, we studied this phenomenon primarily from the human angle. So different from all the like fancy statistics in the headlines, we actually we try to investigate how people, how users actually in China use those two apps, basically Alipay and WeChat Pay in mainland China. 
and how those two apps actually deeply integrated into their daily lives. Got it. And that is also really reflected in this paper. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about kind of the setup. I think this is a survey-based paper. So, and I encourage all the listeners after this conversation or even now to, to look it up and maybe read through it because it even includes some comments, which I think make it much easier for the reader to, to actually understand what's going on there on the ground. So if you could maybe talk a little bit about the setup of the paper and then maybe give us a sneak peek in, around the, the summary of the results that you found. Okay, sure. So this paper was conducted as a two-phase research. The first phase is a survey. We had participants, around 466 participants for our survey that was conducted through a survey platform in mainland China. Um, then followed up that survey, we have another follow-up interviews with the people who are willing to talk more about ex their experience around those two apps in China. So the interview pool was 12 participants. So this paper was heavily draw on the real uh, life experience of users in China, how they use those two apps in, the, in their daily lives, and all those fascinating. Even I'm Chinese, I still feel very fascinating about the, the different usage they can actually invent it out of those two apps in China. In this paper, primarily, we borrow a theoretical concept from science and technology studies. It's called infrastructure. So traditionally, in infrastructure studies, we refer something as infrastructure because they are ubiquitous in people's life. They are indispensable. They are deeply embedded in the existing, existing social technical structures. So think of infrastructures. We often think about like railways, plumbing systems, those type of things. So we borrow the concept of infrastructure because through the experience of our participants, we deeply feel that mobile payments actually become those daily infrastructures in people's lives in China. People are using those things as early as in the morning, like you get a breakfast on your way to work, you open up your mobile pay, you send some nice message to your friends, you use your mobile pay. You can buy things online, use your mobile pay, offline, use your mobile pay. You ride the bikes, even use your mobile pay. You can also ride the buses. So everything it's kind of tied into those two small apps. So this is why we actually try to look at users' experience about mobile payments from the angle of infrastructures. And also the title from our paper is actually one quote from our interview participants. So he, he was trying to buy some apples on street in China, and the vendors actually refused to take money because mobile payments was so ubiquitous right now in China. So he commented like, I can't even buy apples if I don't use mobile pay. So that's a small, like interesting incident in our data. That's really interesting. I think for a lot of us are living in the US or in other Western countries where we see, you know, that more kind of more and more of a cashless society. I think that extreme is really something that we, we don't even, you know, can't even conceive of. And maybe over the last few months changed because of the COVID-19 crisis and there was this accelerated move to cashless. But yeah, China seems to have moved from cash to cashless in a rather small amount of time, right? So if we think 10, 12 years ago, I think there was, well, there was Alipay, but it was rather tied to Alibaba and their Chinese e-commerce platforms and wasn't really this 
standalone mobile payments app, as well as WeChat Pay actually didn't exist. WeChat did exist. As far as I know, WeChat Pay only uh, came up kind of in the early 2010s. So from your perspective, why did that happen so quickly? Why did these, and we can maybe talk about that kind of in the, in, following questions, but also why did QR codes become so popular and so extremely widespread there in this small amount of time? I think that's an interesting question. From the data we collected for the paper, I think there are a couple of reasons for mobile payments to become so ubiquitous in China. First, China is Indeed, as many developing countries, it's a mobile-first country. So it has a larger pool of smartphone users. This larger pool of smartphone users actually give mobile pay a very rich ground to grow. And also, China, as many developing countries, it lacks basic financial infrastructures. So there's some data in the paper that talks about China's first credit card was actually only released in the late 1980s. <laughs> so compared with the U.S., it's, it's rather very late. And also due to the lack of basic financial infrastructure, actually in Chinese society, there is the, the dominant use of cash as the, as the payments before the arrival of the mobile pay. So the data shows actually the average number of credit cards owned per, per person in China is only 0.39. In the US, that's 2.6. So I think this actually summarized one of the reasons that partially explained the takeoff of mobile pay in China. That is, in the US, people kind of, they had some experience with cashless payments, right? They use credit card a lot. But in China, before the arrival of mobile pay, they use cash a lot. So mobile pay compared with cash, there will be a lot of uh, advantages, right? Compared with cash. For example, people can get paid very, very fast compared using cash. The vendors actually don't have to give changes to people because of mobile pay. And also people mentioned in China, there's another thing that is very interesting compared with the US, that is China actually has lots of different cheap smartphone manufacturers. So not all the, for example, not all the participants in our pool using iPhone, for example, they use like Vivo, those cheap, very affordable smartphones. And those cheap and affordable smartphones, sometimes they don't really use NFC technologies. I guess that will get into another question around QR code. But here I just want to mention cheap and larger scale smartphone adoption will definitely be one reason behind the adoption of mobile payments in China. Basic financial infrastructures will be another. And I think one more thing is the regulatory environment. If you take a look at the past years, the Chinese government actually is really, really supporting the development of mobile pay, mobile wallets, and so forth. So it even allows Alipay and WeChat Pay to, to be integrated into many public services in China. So people actually will be able to pay their utility fees, for example, through their mobile pay. That's a huge advantage because in our participants' pool, uh, many people like, for example, in, in their 50s and 60s, they don't really use mobile pay at first. But then they realize they can use mobile pay 
maybe not only not for online shopping, just to pay utility fees. That's a huge relief for, for them. And utility fees, probably not that much, but it's a typical, what, what, what we will call a high frequency, but small amount mobile payment activities. So it seems like this activity will give you a habit to use mobile pay further in your daily life. So I would say government support will be another reason for the takeoff mobile pay in China. And finally, I think those two companies, Alibaba and Tencent, they are giving huge amount of rebates to the users in China. And please remember, people are dominantly using cash. So then they don't really have the habit of receiving <laughs> rebate through the payment like uh, using credit card. So that will be a huge incentive for people to move to mobile pay as well. Yeah, I think that there were a lot of great points in there, especially around the, the smartphones and the, the kind of different, you know, cheaper smartphones that people will use there. I think that's something that gets forgotten in that debate a lot. And then curiously, as you were just talking about the kind of partnership with the government and the capability to, to pay your bills or utilities. Interestingly, I got, I got reminded of a conversation we had here in the podcast with the founder of Satis Pay in Italy, a uh, mobile payments application in Italy. And maybe we can later talk about you know, differences between China and, and other countries or geographies in terms of the adoption of those apps or digital wallets, as we call them. But his comments actually were very similar to what you just said in terms of even an older person for the first time seeing, hey, I can also pay these utility bills super easily with, with the app. And that's much less of a hassle than doing it traditionally, I don't know, going to some office or, or something or doing it online where it's complicated. And he actually said the same. So in Italy, they also integrated their application with local governments. And he kind of had that line where he said, once you pay your taxes or utility utility bills with an app for the first time, you're not going back to standing in line in some government office building. And then it becomes just super sticky, right? So that's that's really interesting. And they probably looked at Alipay or WeChat Pay first, right? That's those were kind of the apps that spearheaded this. And and then you mentioned QR codes. I think that's very, very interesting part of your paper. You even talk about QR codes kind of replacing what you call kind of artifacts or and an different processes in our society. So you talk about basically seeing QR codes everywhere and then QR codes even replacing menus in restaurants and completely shifting the dynamic of dining in restaurants. So if you could just uh, touch on why QR codes are everywhere and then how are they changing the economy and the society? Yeah, sure, definitely. Yeah, I agree. One of the interesting part of the use of mobile payments in China is actually the use of QR code. So to our best knowledge, actually, uh, China was one of the first country to massively use QR codes as a payment method. So in our paper, we actually talk about people's experience in restaurants right now. So say if you're going to China right now and you enter into a restaurant, it is highly likely there is no menu. Uh, so they will just give you a QR board on the table and you're supposed to open up your mobile pay apps, scan the code, then it will lead you actually to the restaurant's homepage. And you can order things, use your mobile phone and eventually pay the bill 
also one single payment apps. So that's that's what I'm referring as QR codes actually replacing the pre-existing artifacts like menus in restaurant. It become a new norm in people's life. So in the paper, we definitely we collect data about people's use of how often they use QR codes compared with other payment methods. So our data actually indicated over 50% of our survey respondents indicated that they used QR code to pay on a daily basis. And that is way, way beyond like other payment methods like NFC, which is the major payment method right now in the U.S., so I think there are a couple of reasons in terms of why QR codes has become so popular in China. I think we touched a little bit around this around, uh, when we are talking about the uh, cheap smartphones. Because if, if you look at the participants table in our paper, that a lot of people actually using low-end, not very fancy smartphones in China. So those smartphones, for example, they typically probably they don't really have a NFC function. So which means if the mobile payment system only accept NFC, that will automatically exclude this population from the system. The actually the benefits of QR code that is it is very cheap for the vendor's end, right? You don't really have to install any POS terminals on your end either. And also remember that I, I also mentioned that China is a cash dominated society. So before cash, there is actually very, the credit card system is not prevalent compared to the US. So many vendors actually don't really have a POS machine already installed. So QR code actually solved this problem both for the vendors and for the users. So vendors don't don't really have have to install any pricey machines on their end. They can just print out a QR code paper and stick it on the on the wall. And users don't really have to purchase any fancy smartphones. They can just use their regular, uh, relatively low-end smartphones to do that. So QR code has become so convenient that even our our participants reported that even beggars on the street, they can just hold a QR code to ask for donations. So this is how convenient QR code is. So I think convenience only like and, and less infrastructure required are only like two factors in this in this field. Other things, for example, we mentioned there is compared with traditional cash, using QR code will definitely speed up the transaction speed. And another final factor we actually highlighted in our paper is QR code is actually very, very visible to your users. So visibility, affordance are those like key concepts in our field in human computer interactions. So people can easily recognize that mobile payments will be accepted here by simply seeing a QR code stick on the wall, for example. And QR code is also very easy to understand how to use it, right? So NFC, typically there is a little bit learning curve. You have to understand how to wake up your phone to pay using your phone. But QR code is just like taking a picture. You just open up your camera, you scan the QR code, and everything will happen in, uh, within the system. So people were reporting that it's really easy to understand and easy to act and easy to see. So visibility is a major fact. And I remembered in the paper, there is a part participant also reported that in a wedding scenario, you know, in Chinese wedding, people usually need to send out the so-called red packets to the happy couples as a gift. So even like in a wedding scenario, so she saw there is a big QR code stick into the reception table, then she know immediately this is for the 
uh, wedding red pockets. So this is how visible and easy to understand is for QR code in China right now. Yeah, I think the story with the with the wedding is really interesting, and we can probably come back <laughs> to the red packets later. And maybe before that, kind of focus on a list of different use cases, and and you have that in the form of a chart in the paper where you where the, the survey respondents listed the top use cases for Alipay as well as WeChat Pay in your paper and. I think it would be a great idea for the listeners kind of to go through that list. And before doing that, uh, could you maybe talk about if there's any kind of difference in, in usage you see that people are using WeChat Pay for other services than they're using Alipay for and why that is? And I think one maybe element of that is that I see 96% of Alipay users are using the app for online shopping, which probably makes sense because of the Alibaba connection there. But generally, did you see a divide in usage between the apps uh, for different use cases? I think there is definitely interesting uh, some interesting differences in terms of usage. But before that, I think it's also important to mention that we, we observed that the usage cases actually uh, have increasingly overlapped over time between those two apps. But that being said, we do observe some um, some differences in those two apps. And just like what you mentioned, I think that is deeply connected with their parents' companies' uh, business focus. For example, in our paper, you mentioned that Alipay actually dominates the online shopping scenario, while WeChat Pay, uh, the first usage scenario is offline shopping. And the second usage scenario is red packets because WeChat is primarily a social media company, right? So, so people are, are very used to send out messages on their platforms. So red packets uh, become a very, very common practice it's embedded in those messages. Actually, Alipay is trying, trying very, very hard <laughs> to catch up with WeChat Pay in terms of the red packet usage. But at least in our data, <laughs> Alipay is still lagging behind because Alibaba primarily is a e-commerce company. So it is very natural for people to use Alipay for the online shopping as a major scenario. I think this also probably gives some indications to other like US companies who want to develop <laughs> mobile payments out of their ecosystems. So you need to think about your uh, primary business focus first, because based on our data, people actually developed their usage of mobile pay practices based on their previous use of the apps. So this is why we see Alipay is dominating the online shopping scenario and WeChat Pay is pretty much dominate anything related with uh, social networks. Got it. And then if I look at the chart, there are just so many different use cases that you list. Could you just give us an idea what these apps are capable of? What kind of range of different uh, services are people accessing through Alipay and WeChat Pay? In this paper, we actually use a concept called ubiquity to describe people's usage of those two apps. So we developed a taxonomy of ubiquity of mobile payments in China. We, we divided them into three levels, the physical ubiquity, which means you incorporate a group of physical actors into the digital payment systems and also the embedding of the system into the physical environment. 
So uh, example usage in the physical ubiquity in our data is dining services. I talked about this before and transportation. Um, that's something like very interesting in China because mobile payments actually are now connect all the transportation method in China. You ride a bike, ride a bicycle, ride a subway, uh, railway, and everything probably you, you, you can just use your mobile payments to pay that. And also offline shopping is another major scenario. You can use uh, mobile payment. As we just mentioned, like street vendors, even very, very small street vendors who are selling apples on the street, they're also deeply embedded into the mobile payment systems. So that's one layer of the usage patterns in China. As a second layer, what we call it is so the, the so-called digital ubiquity. It means mobile payment systems starting to connect a full range of potential online transactions into their, their systems, including what we just talked about, the utility payments right, public services, a lot of public services. Like in China, in some city, you can even apply for a visa or renew your visa through your mobile payment apps. So that's an example of public service. And one thing I think it's quite interesting and important to mention is so is the actually wealth management function within Alipay and WeChat Pay, especially within Alipay. Interestingly, I think Alibaba started wealth management only like in the late part of uh, the development of Alipay, but then it becomes so popular and really taken off in the app. So people in our participants pool actually commented, they, they don't really like put their money in the bank. They, they have a, a tendency or a habit to just keep the money in Alipay. So sometimes they need to like shop online. Like that's actually pretty much everything they do, the thing they do every day in China. So they can just use that money. Otherwise, they just save the money in Alipay because Alipay is actually to use that money to buy some money market funds for them. So, so they commented that the app is actually making money for them every day. So every day they open up the app, they saw maybe not too much, but a teeny tiny little bit increase in the amount of the money. So it, that is pretty a, a amazing experience. So I think that par partially explain why so many people are not keeping their money in the apps instead of in the banks. So that's digital ubiquity. And the final ubiquity we identified throughout data is so-called social ubiquity. So we noticed that the mobile payment systems actually integrated into a wide variety of social activities in China. So they support of many pre-existing cultural practices and affordance. And also they, they try to develop new social norms through the use of mobile payment. So I think one thing we also mentioned in the podcast is the use of red packets in mobile payment systems. If you're in China, you will immediately notice like how common this practice is and how amazing it is, can give meanings to money, give, give new meanings to money, give new meanings to mobile payments. Like when thing we noticed in our data is people like actually use money, the amount of money to indicate some specific meanings, like 5.2 RMB actually indicates I love you in China. So they just send this to their wife. <laughs> so so actually they comment the money, the money actually means nothing because it's a, such a teeny tiny little bit amount of money, but the number attached to the money means a lot. So this is just one example how mobile payment system actually changing the culture 
future meanings in China, actually. And people use those mobile payments to develop new social norms and practices. So that's, that's very amazing. So that's the two, basically the, the three levels of ubiquity we observed in our data. And you can see here, uh, basically it covers almost every range of people's life in China and indeed become a basic infrastructure for people's everyday lives. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And what you said about Alipay and wealth management, that definitely makes sense with their UEBAO, I think that product is called. And according to, to the data in your paper, I think 70% of Alipay users are reported using that. I think WeChat Pay launched a similar product, I think last year it was, if I'm correct. Do you think WeChat Pay has a chance in kind of converting people over to use WeChat Pay um, as this kind of just park your money there and leave it there and go a few points of interest? I don't know if, if it's percentage points or, or, or now just only basis points. Do you see that happening uh, similar to how you described that Alipay is now also going into red packets. So kind of on a higher level, what I'm asking is the habits that have formed on these two respective applications, do you think they're very sticky or are they more interchangeable? I think from the data we collected, it's rather on the sticky side. I think you're, you're right that people are starting to park some money in their WeChat Pay account, but that was primarily, I think, for the purpose of sending red packets. So in terms of the amount, our participants was were reporting that the amount in their Alipay account <laughs> way larger than the amount they are in their WeChat Pay account. So I guess this goes back to the primary business focus of those two companies. I would say it's not impossible for people to change those behavior, but it definitely takes time and maybe longer than we can expect to switch people's perceptions, their usage, their habits in terms of how to perceive those two apps and how to use those two apps in different ways. You just talked about red packets. I think that's a point we should definitely take a few more minutes maybe to talk about or to learn um, from you about. So I think it would be great if you could give us a little bit more background on the actual like, cultural significance of that phenomenon. It probably to, it sounds like me that, that it dates back hundreds, I don't know, even maybe thousands of years already in Chinese and maybe also other Asian cultures. And then you also describe, uh, I would say, a creative use cases in your paper where somebody sends red packets to their WeChat group or something along those lines. So I think it would be great if you could talk a little bit more about that. Because as far as I see it, I think the red packets could be one of the drivers behind WeChat Pay and Alipay's payment volume really competing with the Chinese GDP. As in, uh, you just said, people are sending around, even if it's a small amount of money, that doesn't mean much to them, but it really adds up as these apps have hundreds of millions of users. So it's a fascinating phenomenon. Yeah, definitely. And the red packet actually was a invention. So let me give you first some cultural background of uh, red packets. So in China, there are small red envelopes containing cash gifts. So it's a actually very deeply ingrained cultural practices, not only in China, but also in many Asia countries to say best wishes or congratulations. So we give red packets in many, many different scenarios. Uh, Chinese New Year, definitely one of them. We send out red packets 
for our we- on weddings, we send out red packets to people who just received a promotion. That's another scenario. We give red packets for kids' birthday. So, so you can think about how important it is as a culture phenomenon in Chinese culture. So WeChat Pay actually really got Alipay through the invention of red packets. So that I, I remember that is one of the Chinese New Year uh, 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 celebration. Then WeChat, WeChat Pay suddenly announced that they developed this function on their app so people can send out, instead of send out those physical red packets, they can send out digital red packets on their platforms to their relatives. So you can think how convenient it is will be like it, it, it is for the Chinese population, right? Because a lot of people live, you know, far away. They don't really live with their with their loved ones. So they can just send out those red packets through WeChat Pay. So that's a like major invention. And after that, suddenly WeChat Pay really took off and really like starting to catch up with Alipay. So that 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 is rather like a couple of years ago. So throughout the years, people actually use Reddit packets for, for a variety of different scenarios. Some of them, I think even WeChat Pay, the designer, couldn't really think about how people creatively use those red packets in, in some very interesting that manners. So in our data, we actually categorize a few uh, scenarios, like people like, I think that is kind of expected. People use red packets mostly to say congratulations. That's 68% of our survey respondents saying that. And they also use red packets to celebration. They also use red packets to send out specific meanings, message, like I just mentioned, to say I love you. And they use red packets to pay back the money they owned from other people. They use red packets to split bills. Another interesting thing around here is in China, people usually, they are fighting for paying for dinner bills in China, right? Uh, So the red packets actually give them some opportunities. Say, well, I, I pay for this dinner, then my friends probably later on will send me a certain amount of money in the format of a digital red packet to pay back her portion of the dinner. But in Chinese culture, it's, it's usually like people will be fighting over who, who's going to pay the dinner bills because we want to show, you know, so we are treating you nicely, you're my friends and things like that. And people are also using red packets as a social game. So in WeChat Pay, we actually, they're actually a function. So you can send out a certain amount of red packets into a social groups on WeChat. Then people can really like randomly open up that red packet and get random number from that. So it's kind of a game. So Tencent actually invented this as a game to st- stimulate the usage of red packets. And it's, it, it is now very popular also on the platforms. People also use red packets to say thank you, to show their support, even to say hi. For example, I can just send $1 to my friends for a friend who, who I haven't seen for a long time and just say, hi, how are you? And those types of things. So, so money starts to change meanings from a very formal currency type of thing to a very casual uh, thing. You can just use money to say hi as well. And also people mentioned they use red, packet, red, red packets to attract attention. I remembered one scenario in our data is someone was mentioning that he needs to get more clicks for his daughter's piece in an online piano competition. So he just sent out a red packet into a larger 
uh, social groups on WeChat. Because the group is is very large, so people usually don't really like click every message in that group. So he actually sent out the red packet as a way to attract attention from the participants in that group in order to get more clicks for his daughter in this online piano competition. And also he usually like he will insert a message on the red packets before people opening up, uh, they will be seeing this message say, sorry to interrupt or sorry to bother this group because what he sent out in the message is actually not really relevant to the main theme of this social group. So this is a way both to use Red Package to attract attention and to say a little bit around, to say, sorry, I take a bit of the time of this social group to, to help you guys to, to vote for my daughter's piano competition. So those are just some interesting cases happening right now in the red packet usage on WeChat Pay and Alipay. So primarily, I would say on WeChat Pay, people are really being innovative in some sense. So they developed a lot of interesting usage of red packets. Some of the usage are not really seen in the traditional digital, uh, di- traditional physical red packet practices, but rather new to this digital space. So we documented a little bit in the paper as well. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of red packets going around on WeChat <laughs> Pay and Alipay. Yeah. Hong, thank you so much. I think this was a super interesting insights into what's going on uh, on the ground in China. And I hope that all of our listeners, as I have, have learned a lot. And it's a, it's really a super fascinating topic, mobile payments in China. As our time is running out here a bit, I want to thank you for coming on. And yeah, we're, we're excited to maybe follow some of your future research and maybe have you back with the new findings in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. It's a great, great experience. Thank you. Thank you. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.